to One Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. Well, good morning. Welcome to church. You guys excited to be here? Pastor Justin is away. Today you have me. <laughs> it's all right? Good. Um, Justin's in Norway. He's having fun. I'm a little jealous. I think he's out deer hunting or something. It sounds totally like Justin, right? Do some deer hunting with Anders. Um, he's, uh, he's meeting some people, some people there. I think he's actually preaching today as well. So um, we're excited to just see all that God's doing in his life. And I have to say, um, in terms of just my relationship with Justin, um, every week we work together and there's nobody that, honestly, that I know that just cares more for people every day. When you meet him, when you talk to him, there's just, just genuineness. That was one of the things that attracted Steph and I to one church when we first came was just this genuineness about Justin that kind of drew us in to, to one church. And I think um, he strives to replicate that in all of us, right? Amen. Can you feel that? You feel that about him? Well, good. Were well, you guys ready for some scriptures today? we got some scriptures to read. All right. Well, we're going to start off in Numbers 13, going back to Old Testament. You guys like some Old Testament? That's right. Numbers 13, verse 26. We're going to read quite a bit here. It's a story about the Israelites, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. I think it really directly reflects a lot of the journey that each of us have as we walk with the Lord. Um believe that we all kind of have an Egypt and Exodus moment in a promised land, and the Lord kind of leads us through through those things. So we're going to start in Numbers and read through chapters 13 and some of 14, and uh, we're going to kind of just read through this story about what God did through them as they were about to enter the promised land. But it says, starting in verse 26, it says, They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and indeed it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there, the Amalekites, in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, And they live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with them said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land land that they had explored. The land we explored devours those living in it. And all the people saw of their great size. We even saw the Nephilim. You guys know what Nephilim are? Man, you got to type in Nephilim on the internet and just like see the crazy stuff that comes up. It's like half man, half, I don't know, thing from heaven, fallen angel, I don't know. But there's, uh, if you guys want to get in some good Nephilim talk sometime, hit me up, man. It's good stuff. Get some giants. So we saw the Nephilim there, and they were the descendants of Anak. And we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Now let's jump over to chapter 14, verse 1. 
It says, that night all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. And all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children we will, take, will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites, so tell them. As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you who is 20 years or older or more was counted in the, and was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me. Not one of you will enter the land I swore with, with your enter the land that I swore with an uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will, I will bring them in and enjoy the land which you have rejected. But as for you, your bodies will fall in the wilderness, and your children will be shepherds. Here for, the, here for 40 years is your, suffer, your suffering. Let's pray. Lord, we just invite you into this place. We just ask you to come. We just ask you to impart your word into our lives, to break off the things that hinder us from coming before you, to break off chains, to break off fear, to break off complaints, to break off those things that we think deny your working in our life. Lord, let your Holy Spirit work in, our, in this place. My words are just words, but it's your word that changes us. It's your spirit that changes us. You're all that we need, Father. Your name I pray. Amen. So this is a story, again, one of my favorite stories, and um, I think kind of kind of correlates with our lives. Um, I think we all have kind of like this promised land experience where the Lord leads us out of Egypt when we, when we become a believer. And my question for you today, and if I guess if I'm going to put a title to this, is what's your story? Um, we all have a story, and one of the things that I love about um, kind of what I do, I, 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 I'm a, I work with the church, and I'm an associate pastor here with Justin, but I also get to do video work on the side, and uh, that's kind of a side business for me. Um, and one of the things that I really love about that is the element of story. I think, Alex, you can attest to this, that pow the power of story changes people, right? Since the beginning of time, we've been telling and reading stories, and it's those stories that influence us. And they change us. And just because it's a story doesn't necessarily mean it's not true. And everything in the word that we read today is true. It may seem like a story. It's too, like the word that we have today is 2,000 years old, and some of these texts are much older. But it, just because it's a story doesn't mean it's not true. And these stories influence our lives. And as we read the word, as you digest stories from other people's lives, those things begin to influence us in how we live our life. So that's one of the things that I love in, in my work is just being able to convey people's stories from around the world, things that the Lord gives me to show, places that he takes me. It's not even so much. Some, I know some of you guys see I'm like in Africa sometimes or in, in Europe, and it's not even so much the trips that I, the Lord puts me on, but it's the stories of the people that are there, the places that I get to go and the people that I get to meet. And I believe that what we choose to do in the midst of, of adversity determines the outcome of how much God's glory is displayed in our lives. 
It doesn't change God's power for us, but it, what we choose to do and how much we choose to step into what God has for our lives determines how God can work through us. So just kind of a personal story I'll, I'll say to that is um, when I met Steph, um, I was living in Missouri. And at the time, I was single and loathing myself. I think I was like 30 or 31, I don't remember. I was thinking I'll never get married. And um, so I started searching in Florida. No. <laughs> um, but uh, I had a friend of mine introduce me to Steph. Uh, I was out here on a work trip and um, met Steph. I won't tell you all the details, but after we started pursuing one another and dating, um, decided, hey, one of us has got to move. We, know, we can't make this like long term if we're really going to, you know, pursue one another. One of us is going to have to go. So I decided to come here. We prayed and really felt like the Lord wanted me to come to Florida and definitely so glad I did. Um, but uh, in that process, uh, it's not something, it's not a part of us like, you ever do things like the Lord calls you into something, and it's like, I don't know if I would recommend that for anybody else. And that's kind of like the way the story was. It was like, I met Steph, and it's like, I, and we were going to get married, and so it was like, you're going to leave your full-time job, and you're going to move to another state, and then you're going to get married. Like, those are all the things that you don't do right before you get married. You don't try to start your own business and quit your job and leave everything that you have. You know, you try to make your life stable. And it really seemed like, that, that would have been the right thing to do. But when God calls you into something, when he calls you into, into something to step into something in your life, even though it might seem completely crazy, if, if God's in it, then it's going to happen. Amen? But the human psyche, I think, is really powerful. Um, and I think, like, what happens in our mind and the decisions we make is, is so important. So I kind of like to think of it like this, like we have like a heart or I like to say that a will, and then we have the, our spirit. And there's this continual conflict between those two things, what I want to do and what God wants to do. And in the middle of that is our mind. And that's kind of like the battleground oftentimes where I think like the devil wants to work in your life because he knows he really can't do anything to you other than sow lies into your life. So if he can sow a lie or doubt or fear into your life, he knows that the decisions you make will be based off those fears, Right. And I think that's where we, see, where we see the Israelites in this story. It's like God had led them through the desert. They had, the waters had parted. They had seen pillars of fire and all this stuff. And they get to the promised land, and they still had this element of fear that was churning in their life, this element of doubt. And God's saying, I'm ready for you to step in. I've built that reputation. I've built that history with you now. And I'm ready for you to step into the promise, the thing that I'm giving you. I'm giving you a promise. And yet their doubt said, man, we should just go back to Egypt where everything was free. And so I think that what we decide, that what's in our mind, can directly affect how much God's glory works in our life. Robert Murray Machine says this, For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. He is altogether lovely, such infinite majesty and yet such meekness and grace. And all for sinners, even the chief. Live much in the smiles of God. Bask in his beams. Feel, all his, feel his all-seeing eye settled on you in love. And repose in the Almighty's arms. Let your soul be filled with a heart-ravishing sense of sweetness, of the sweetness and excellency of Christ in all that is in him. 
Let the Holy Spirit fill every chamber of your heart so that there will be no room for folly, the world, Satan, or the flesh. And I think how you process God, how you, what you think about him determines the decisions that you make when you're called into things in your life. When the Lord asks you to take a step into a new business or to make a move or to make a change or to even sometimes step away from a business. What we think about God and how we process him, whether we think he's a loving God whether we think, or whether we think he's a taskmaster, determine the, the decision that we make in that place. The pressures that we face can become fertile ground for God to work a miracle in our life, a miracle in our life for ingenuity and creative problem solving. But it starts with how we process, how we process fear. So three things I want us to understand about our story. I think each of us have a story just like the Israelites did. And there's three things I want us to understand about our story um, when it comes to God. And the number one, that's, it's, a, it's a relationship. Um, Isaiah 43, 43, 1 says, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you, and I have called you by name, and you are mine. I think it becomes so much more... So much easier to step into something when there's somebody alongside of you, right? So, like, a, fun, a funny story that um, I love to share sometimes is that Steph and I went on this camping trip one time, and we <laughs> we journeyed to North Carolina. I had it all planned out. It was going to be amazing. And uh, we were going to go to the mountains, and it was a place that I had done guiding at before when I was younger, and so I knew the whole area, and so I had it all planned out for us. It's going to be amazing. Well, then these big storms moved in, so we had to change our plan. So we went to kind of like the nice, casual, glamping campground with the RVs and stuff like that. It wasn't quite as rugged as we had anticipated. But that night, we got to the campground, and I was like, we got to go to the mountain to watch the sunset. So we go to the edge of the mountain, and we start climbing, and we get up there, and it's like we had just like made it into the park right before it closed to, to climb this mountain. And so we get to the top, and everything's great. It's right. It's beautiful. We're taking pictures and selfies and stuff like that. It's, it's amazing. And the sun starts to go down. And then all of a sudden, the sun goes down. <laughs> and for me, for me, I, I mean, I grown, I've grown up around the woods or in the woods, so it wasn't like too much of a trouble for me. But I started to notice, and she started to get really nervous. About being in the woods dark and dark, you know, I was like, it's, so I just started, you know, I'm not really like a chatty person, but I just start really talking a lot. You know, it's like I'm thinking, I got to get her mind off of, you know, this, what's about, you know, what we're doing. I said, we're going to be all right. But right now she's like, why does a ghost, you know, and she's like fast walking down the trail. <laughs> so, so she asked me this question along the way. She's like, so, like, what's the scaredest you've ever been? And so I'm thinking, like, uh, there's one time we went diving. There were sharks and um, public speaking. I'm afraid of that. Um, and, you know, and, and so I was like, I don't know. I can't really think of a whole lot. I had mentioned a few things. And so I said, well, what about you? What's the scaredest you've ever been? She's like, right now, actually. Right now is the scaredest I've ever been in my life. <laughs> But, uh, and our story is so much about relationship with God. And I think that's such an important part when we're walking in things. It's not just um, you. And I don't think God doesn't want to be just you. He wants to be a part of your story. He wants, to, when you go through things, when we go, when I go through 
trial, when we go through, like right now, we're remodeling a house. It definitely seems like a big trial. We're going through that stuff, doing things we've never done before, <laughs> tearing out walls and stuff like that. And, you know, I've seen Steph work in ways I've never seen her work before. And, but that's a part of this, like, relationship building process, right? And I think that that's what God wants for us and he wants in your story is that there's this element of relationship. He wants to bridge the gap between uh, God up there that you talk to and us down here to where it's when you walk into church and when you walk into a story, he's right next to you and he's talking to you. That's the presence and the Spirit of God working with you and working in you in every situation of your life. Um, number two, it's not a Cinderella story. Um, I think oftentimes we get kind of caught up. I, I don't know if it's my generation. I, we, watched, we watched a lot of Disney movies. I'm like 36. And so, you know, Disney was like the revolu- revolutional, you know, and, and we watched everything. Lion King, and they're, you know, they're bringing them all back. But uh, there's a name to that, right? A name and a fame. Like in the process of the heroine and all that stuff, there's like one person that rises to the top, and everybody knows them. And I think sometimes we discount our story and what God's going to do in our life because we don't rise to the top and our name's like way up here. And, we, you know, we don't see that God wants to do something that may, you might be unseen. You might be never, you know, never known. One of my favorite stories I heard this last year, I traveled to Armenia to do some filming. And um, they told me a story while I was there. We went to this, um, it's now kind of a relic church. Um, and Ar- Armenia is very unusual in that it's surrounded by um, Islamic countries, but it itself is Armenian Orthodox. It's a, a kind of a form of Catholicism. But they told me this story about how it got to that place, and that was in around 300 A.D. Um, Bartholomew, which was one of the apostles, actually had visited Armenia, and he died there. He was actually martyred there. And there had been missionaries sent from Rome at that time, um, and people had come. But there's one specific uh, missionary. His name was St. Gregory. And St. Gregory, um, he was a part of some families there. He went to Rome, and he, he became a believer and then came back and began to share the gospel with uh, the king and the different families that were there. And they had worshipped. At this time, they were just living in their pagan religion. And when he did that, the king said, you're crazy. And they have uh, what's called uh, the pit of St. Gregory. They threw him in this pit. And I actually got to travel. We actually got to go down in this pit. It's just like this small little cutout stone hole that goes down into this kind of den. Um, and so when we went down in there, uh, this pit was used to just throw basically people down there to starve to death. It was a form of torture. And so they threw Gregory into this pit. And when they did that, there was, and it's recorded, it says a pious widow. And this pious widow, when he was thrown into that pit, it, at the time it was just on the side of this mountain. They built this church over it. But um, when, when he was thrown in that pit, it says she had mercy on him and, and she fed him daily while he was down there. And so for 12 years, with almost no sunlight, living amongst bones in the bottom of this pit, Gregory, missionary to Armenia, lived down there. And the pious widow fed, fed him and kept him alive. Well, 12 years after that had happened, the king's daughter had had a dream that Gregory was alive and that he was coming to deliver the king from this evil spirit. And so the king said, well, that's impossible. He's been down there for 12 years. There's no way any, you know, anyone could live. So they, went, they sent some people out to go look for him, and sure enough, he was down there. And they brought him up out, and everybody was so amazed that he had been alive that, that long down in that pit. And so he preaches the gospel to the king, 
he delivers the king from this evil spirit, and the king declares that the nation become a Christian nation after that. Now, when you hear this story, it's easy to think, like, it's easy to focus on the sufferings of St. Gregory in that moment being down in the pit. But what I want to bring us back to is the pious widow, who we don't even know her name. But through her faithfulness and through her kindness, she preserved a nation. If it hadn't been for her faithfulness and her mercy to keep Gregory alive, to follow the Lord, to do those things, there would be no Gregory. And there would be no Christian nation of Armenia. And to this day, so that was 300 A.D., to this day, it's still, it's still considered a, a Christian nation, which is amazing, isn't it? But that's, that's sometimes the story for us, that it's not, it's, not about, it's not always about fame. It's not always about our name, that our story is every single day. And what God wants to do with you and your family, what God wants to do with you and your friends and stuff like that, don't discredit what God wants to do just because it's not a big thing. It's the small things. Amen? The small things change, can change history, can change lives. We don't know what God has planned for us, but it's good. Number three, your stories are not about you. It's not about you. Um, I, I don't know. If you, one of my, another one of my favorite stories is the story of Joseph in the Bible. In the story of, the story of Joseph, you know, he, he like St. St. Gregory, he's thrown into this pit. He's sold into slavery in Egypt. Um, he goes through all these things, eventually thrown in prison. And then he, he ends up being second in command over Egypt. And then I think it was like 40 years or something like that after that, his brothers come. And I remember this one verse specifically where it says he had to leave the room and he wept because he realized that all of the troubles and the sufferings that he had been through in that weren't because of him, but because of what God wanted to do through him. And I think that uh, another thing that we can do oftentimes is discredit ourselves and what God wants to do through us in our story because we feel like it's not, you know, the picture-perfect story, that it's not about us. But, you know, God, our story is to be read by others, you know, not necessarily to be told by us. It's to be read by, by other people. It's to be seen by other people and to encourage other people. Amen. You guys know the story um, of Jack Ma? You know who Jack Ma is? Um, Alibaba, owner of Alibaba. Or I think he used to be owner of Alibaba. I think, I don't know if he still owns rights. But he's the richest man in China. He's worth, uh, let's see here, $35.6 billion. <laughs> That's a lot of money. <laughs> 35.6, that's like when you get to that point, it's like you're buying countries or something like that. You know, 35, 35 billion. I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of millions that is. Um, but uh, his story is that he was born on September 10th, 1964, communist China. I mean, the pictures of him and his family, it was just poverty, basically. There wasn't really anything. But as a kid, he bicycled 70 miles. He wanted to learn English, so he bicycled 70 miles to like a day. And he had like a loop, and he took tourists um, around the city, and through that process, he learned English, and um, he went to school, but he failed school four times. Um, they, you, can only pa- you can only try to pass one year, so that was like four years that he had tried. Eventually, he passed. He wanted to go to the U.S., and so he applied to Harvard ten times and was rejected ten times. So now he's still in China. Um, he wants to go to the U.S. Everyone says you need to become a teacher because that's a stable job. It's government governmental job. He doesn't want to become a teacher, so he begins to apply for other jobs around the city. And uh, KFC comes to China, 
and everyone's excited. So they only have so many slots, and they only take, I think they only take like the first, you know, they had like, I think they had 23 slots and 24 people applied. Out of those 24 people, everybody, they picked everybody but him. <laughs> um, so eventually he got a job working as an English teacher, making 10 bucks a month. And then eventually he came to the U.S. and discovered the Internet and had some, you know, kind of ingenious ideas about how to create or connect, bring connections between China and America. And that led to a life of starting Alibaba and now worth $3.5 billion. It's amazing, like, that story, I think, I think for me, like, if I was rejected 30 times from jobs, like, I would have just given up at that point. I just would have been like, well, I'm just not good enough. I'm not good enough to, to make it. Um, but that story of not giving up, right? So it's like, that's Jack's story, but I'm reading that today because that's for us. That story isn't just for Jack. If you talk to him or if you listen to some of his interviews, he's, like, super, super humble. It's like, You'd never know that there was a man worth 3.5 or 35 billion sitting next to you. Just super simple guy. Was, I think he lives in that place of like my story is not just for me, but it's for all of us. And I believe that's for all of us as well. So fear, uh, fear is real. Um, Webster defines fear as this: an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain. Or a threat. Um, I, I think that when we go through fearful things, um, don't discredit the reality of the fear. There, we there's people that go through tremendous, tremendous things that would make any of us be afraid. There's sicknesses, things with children, um, poverty, those things. And I don't think don't think that God doesn't discredit fear in your life as well. Even Jesus understood fear. In Luke chapter twenty-two forty-two, it says, <clears throat> Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and he withdrew a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. The trouble is that fear can become a standard for us, and oftentimes in, in that standard, it becomes a place of decision and action. It's the standard and the governor of our action. And action, I would say, is really an important word because what we see Jesus here is, is that despite the fear that was real to him, he's about to be nailed to a cross. He's about to be whipped to the point where he would be unrecognizable by just people that knew him and knew the situation. And I think for any of us about to step into that thing, the reality of fear would be real. Just like for the Israelites, they're, gonna, they're about to step into the promised land. They're about to face some Nephilim, half spirit, half whatever, human being things. You know, those are giants. And I think if I was walking down the street and a giant was coming at me and I look like a grasshopper to him, I think I might run the other way too. So the, real, the, fear, the reality of fear, God doesn't discredit that. And I think we can look at God and, and think that, well, he's just kind of like oblivious because he's supernatural and he can do anything and he's above and beyond. He expects that of us. And I don't think that's the place that God's coming from. What God's coming from is that place of relationship. And he's saying, hey, look, we're in this together. When you're with me and you're standing with me, it doesn't matter what giants you face. It doesn't matter what things you're going through. It doesn't matter what's in your path. 
I've got a plan and a promise and a destiny for you, and I am greater, and I am stronger, and I have overcome the world. Amen? How we process fear directly impacts the story of our life. Now, one of, <laughs> one of my greatest fears is actually, for, for the longest time, until I was like 30, was like public speaking. Um, I would like rather swim with sharks outside of a cage <laughs> most of the time than get in front of people. And I have done that. <laughs> but I remember this time when the Lord, in, in my um, late 20s, I, think I might have been sometime around 30, I really felt like the Lord was calling me back to ministry. And I had really kind of like turned away from the Lord at that point. I grew up in a Christian home, grew up, my parents were missionaries. Um, and I had kind of like turned away from the Lord because really because of this fear of like stepping into the thing that he wanted me to do. And um, I, I found that if I couldn't control it myself, that it wasn't something that I really wanted to do. I wanted to be able to control that thing in my life. And so getting up in front of people felt like I'm not in control of this right now. I'm not in control of what everybody thinks of me. I'm not in control of, you know, how, you know, how I look or my appearance. But God wanted to work that out of me. And it really ultimately, for me, stepping into the thing that God was calling me to do was just fear, 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 a fear of people. And um, I've kind of made a list of some things that I think have spoken to me kind of over the years, and I think that might also speak to us. Uh, when I was writing these down, I was like, man, these are tough, Lord. I don't know if I want to share some of these. But I feel like they're real for us, and I feel like they're things that we can all struggle with, just like me struggling with fear, um, fear of people, fear of opinion, fear of what people think. Those are real things, I think, that if we're honest with ourselves, that all of us might end up facing at some point in our life, right? So here's a list, list of fears. It's a good list, right? <laughs> it says, if, I'm, if, I'm open, if I open up my heart, I'm afraid I'll be let down. If I share my feelings, I'm afraid I'll be rejected. And you can raise your hand if you like, if any of these respond to you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if I step out of that job, I'm afraid I'll never find something else. If I love, then I'm afraid I'll be hurt or I won't be loved back. If I serve, I'm afraid I'll lose time other places or with my family. If people or God knew who I am, I'm afraid they would hate me. If I receive God's grace, then I'm afraid he'll ask me to do anything. If I lose my life, I'm afraid I'll lose my passions and my dreams. If I give my money, I'm afraid I won't have enough. If I forgive, I'm afraid my hurt won't be justified. If I let my children go, I'm afraid they will get hurt. If I try, I'm afraid I'll make a mistake or fail. If I don't work hard enough, I'm afraid my life will fall apart. If I don't do everything, I'm afraid people will think I'm weak. If I'm not perfect all the time, I'm afraid people won't like me. If I don't do what I want now, I'm afraid I'll never do it at all. If I don't push my way to the top, I'm afraid I'll always be at the bottom. If I make a decision... I'm afraid I'll fail or let so-and-so down. If I'm stressed, I'm afraid I'm not working hard enough. Or if I'm not stressed, I'm, a, I'm afraid I'm not working hard enough. 
If I'm not with someone, I'm afraid I'll always be alone. If I share my heart, I'm afraid I will be judged. Friends, we can't allow fears to become the foundation of our story and our decision-making. We'll miss out what God has for us both individually and as a church. When fear develops into a belief system, it becomes a stronghold in our life. And I think I mean, this is just a small, and this is just a brief list of some of the things that the enemy can sow into our lives when God is calling us to freedom. God's calling each of us to freedom and, and to step into uh, a life in the Spirit and to step out of our worry and our, and our concern about what people think of us. And this is a small list compared to what he can sow into our hearts. And if we allow that belief system of fear to take hold of us, we'll end up just becoming like the Israelites at the edge of the promised land, getting ready. God's saying, come on, I've got you. I'm going to take you into this. I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to give you a place of freedom. And then we'll be just looking back and saying, oh, it would just be so much easier to go back to Egypt and just kind of live in my fear and live in, live in my suffering and live in my bondage. I might be suffering, but at least I wouldn't be afraid. And I think God is calling us out of suffering. He's calling us out of fear. He's calling us into a place of freedom. Amen? One of our goals here at, at One Church um, is that we all step into this, the fullness of what God has for our lives, that he raises each of us up, whether it's me, Justin, or any of us, that we're in this together, that there's not this, there's not this separate kind of separation of leadership, but that we're walking in this thing where our body and our community is stepping into the fullness of what God has for us. Amen? And there's no greater person than us than this body to communicate the message of love that God has for our community and for this city. But if we're overly concerned about all of these fears, if we let fears bind us, it's very difficult to share the love of God when you can't even come to God and believe that what God has for you is good. Amen? And that's where we each need to step out and believe that it doesn't matter where I was at before that I'm accepted by God and that God is calling me into um, promises. Amen? I think it's important to know where you're coming from, so I want to talk a little bit about just uh, history, uh, the history of the slaves. So the slaves, um, descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, um, eventually they, you know, they through actually through, uh, it was a drought, they end up coming to Egypt, they end up growing there and living there. And so for 400 years, um, that's a lot of people born into slavery, actually. So for 400 years, they lived there in the bondage and the slavery of the Egyptians. And just like their bondage and slavery that they were born into, equally we were born into that. Romans 6, 17 and 18 says, But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. And you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Exodus 6, 7 through 9 says, I will take you as my own people, and you will, I will be your God. And then you will know that I am the Lord who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. See, previously the, 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 the Israelites, they had lived as slaves in that place. But God was bringing them into this place of relationship, just like we had talked. The story of their life was relationship with God, where Egypt, in Egypt, they had seen people just worship, you know, metal, man-made gods. That's what they had seen, people bowing down to that. But God was saying, listen, 
It's not like that. What I've got for you is relationship. It's something that's so much deeper. But it's important to know where you're coming out of and to reflect back on that history that God has for you. Because if not, you're just kind of always living in the moment. And I think just like that story that I told where um, God brought me from Missouri to here and I, I married Steph and he provided. And out of that situation, you know, I had a God gave me a business and Steph got a job. And it was just like we flourished when we stepped into the thing that, that God had for our lives. But that becomes a monument in our lives. If you don't look back and when you're facing something and you say, and you don't say, man, God brought me through this. I know he'll bring me through that. Then we constantly come like this wave and everything that's thrown at us, all of a sudden it's like we're down here and then we're up and then we're down and then we're up. Because we haven't like looked back to see God's brought me out of Egypt and he'll do it again. There's nothing like, there's nothing like a desert experience to, to like bring out the, probably the worst in us, right? <laughs> you go through, so, you know, the Israelites, they, they go through their, you know, their bondage and then they, they, they get delivered. Moses comes and then they leave Egypt and then, then there's the parting of the Red Sea and this fire. And it's like, all, and it's, like it's almost like how we are as new believers, right? So I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this, but like when you become a new believer, it's like all of a sudden it's like miracles are just happening like all of the time. It's like for the person that's like been serving the Lord for like 20 years, they're praying for a new car. And then so-and-so just gets saved. They're like, you won't believe it. I prayed for like a, a VW bug, and God gave me a Lamborghini. It was amazing. <laughs> it's like God is like hearing every prayer. And, it's, and like the person's like, I've been praying for 20 years for a Volvo. <laughs> you know, it's like anything. You know, it's like, but it's like God, what is he establishing? He's establishing a relationship with you. He's establishing that premises like, listen, we're in this. But it doesn't stay there. Right? That's just like the way that life is. It doesn't it doesn't stay in like you know, just like God's the genie and you're like anytime that you ask for something, it's like, you know, on your plate. It's it's it there's this deeper relationship that he takes us into. And there's nothing like the desert moment to bring that out of us. And um so the so the Israelites are in the desert and they just seen the Red Sea part and the fire from heaven come down and devour and uh, they're like, Lord, we need some food. And he says, well, how about some crackers from, from heaven? Heavenly crackers. And they're like, we don't like those. <laughs> and that's like that relationship part. But, you know, I think when, <laughs> that when we were walking in the desert, I don't think God gives us everything that we want because he doesn't want us to be satisfied with the desert. He wants us to look at the promise for your life. He wants us to look ahead and say, this is what God's taken me into. I'm not going to become satisfied with crackers in the desert, but we want what we want in the moment. So what is the promised land? What was the promised land for them? Well, the promised land was freedom from bondage, slavery, oppression, freedom to freely worship God, life, abundance, and freedom to grow. Numbers 13.25 says this, When they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. A single cluster. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. And that place was called the valley, that place was called the valley of Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites had cut off. 
At the end of 40 days, they turned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. When we went into the land which you sent us, or we went into the land which you sent us, and it does indeed flow with milk and honey, and here's the fruit. And so I did some kind of research. Uh, I did a little research on what some of these things symbolically meant, have meant throughout history. And milk, um, representing all things good, bounty and prosperity. Honey, representing the sweetness of life. Grapes, um, abundance, prosperity, and the Holy Spirit. Um, pomegranates, righteousness, and figs, peace. And I think that God perfectly contrasts this for us in Galatians 5 when he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things there is no promise, or there is no law. The promise of God is life through his spirit. That is the promise that we hold on to. Actually, when I think of like milk and honey, I think of like, like when you think of flowing with milk and honey, that's like a lot of cows to milk and a lot of bee stings to get. And I think we think of the promise as like this place of like, I'm never going to have to work again. It's just going to be like Jack Ma. It's going to be $35 billion. That's the promise I'm aiming for, Lord. Thank you. But that don't, that's not the promise that God promises us. What he does promise us is life through the Spirit, eternal life today. Amen? Here's some other promises for us. I'm going to read through these quick. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.28 And we know that in all things God works for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purposes. Isaiah 40.31 But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength and they will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Isaiah 43.2 says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Joshua 1.9 says, I, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. These are the promises for you and I. It doesn't always look like what we think it's going to look like. But what God does promise us is no matter what you're going through, no matter what you face, that the fruit of the Spirit lives within us day after day after day. Amen? So, in our story... Seven ways, or I think we're doing six. Six ways to overcome fear in our life. You guys ready to take some notes? All right, we got some more verses. I like I like the I like the word, so I probably I apologize if it's like too many Bible verses, but it's like for me, it's like I just love the Bible. I think it's kind of like it's like is there anything that's like more correct and more accurate that we can pull from? It's like if it's the Bible, it's good. Number one, desire God. Love him with all of your heart and obey him. Look at what Deuteronomy 5.32 says. So be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or to the left, but walk in obedience to all that the Lord the God has command, Lord, 
your God has commanded you, so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. I think that this has to be a place of genuineness for us. Like, in, in our walk with the Lord, there has to be this genuine love that we have for the Lord because it's really out of love that we want to obey Him. Uh, you, can't, you can't force that. You can't, like, it's very difficult to just, like, make your flesh obey the Lord. But when, when, you, when you're in love with God, when you're in love with Jesus, when you're in love with the fullness of who He is, it becomes a daily routine. There's this desire to, to obey Him. Like, in my relationship with Steph, I have a desire because we're, you know, we're married and I love her. There's this desire to do things for her that it's not like work. It's not like a challenge because I love her. And it's the same way when we, when we love the Lord, there's, it's not a forced thing. You don't have to like, well, I got to clean myself up today because I have to. And I think if, if we want to overcome fear in our lives, there has to be this place where that genuine love for the Lord is is flowing through us daily. Number two, don't live as a slave. I was thinking about the prodigal son, in that when I don't in the in the story of the prodigal son, uh, there, you know he uh, it's a story of his father and two sons, and one of them uh, he wants his inheritance now, so he takes his inheritance, he goes out and he spends it all, and then he realizes, man, life would have been a lot better if I just like stayed home and lived at home, and there's a lot to that story I won't unpack, but there's one important part, I think, for us is that when he decides to come back to the Lord, he's thinking in his mind, if I could just be a worker in life would be much better. I've messed up, and I probably only deserve to be a worker. I probably only deserve to be a slave, so I'll go back, and I'll just, I'll be a slave, but when the father meets him, he meets him with a robe and a ring, he comes to him and says, you're, you're not a worker. You're my son. And that's what he calls each of us today. Galatians 4, 6 through 8 says, Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of the son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. And I think, Fear can brew when you just have this um, relationship as a slave with the Lord. If, if, you're, if what you do for the Lord or if your relationship with the Lord is based around um, just kind of, you know, well, God's up there and I'm down here and I'm just trying to, like, live my life really good. You know, you're, it's very difficult to not live in the fear of what God will ever do to you. But when you're in relationship with the Lord, when you hear him, when you're, when you're impacted by him daily, when you hear him speaking, when you're walking with him, you begin to see that the Lord is your father and that whatever you face, there's, there's nothing that he won't see you through in that time. Amen? Number three, don't let your heart get crowded with idols. Aaron, this is Exodus chapter 32, verses 2 through 4 says, Aaron answered them, says, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed to him and made it into an idol cast into the shape of a calf. And fashioning it with a tool, they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. When we live in fear, it's easy to worship the things that we control. 
And I think that there's some confusion, maybe a little bit of confusion, with what is good and what is right for us. Now, gold and earrings and those kind of things, there's, there's no law against it. But when you take those things and you fashion them into um, your provision and your security, that's where we end up making idols. And I, that's exactly what they did here. And just like work is not bad, work is also not God. Money's not bad, but money can become the root of evil in our lives. When we worship that thing and we put that thing as the center of our security, then it becomes an idol. And money comes and goes. And we can live a life of fear when that's the foundation of our decision making. And the belief system that this is the thing that provides for me is how hard I work and how, how well I do my work. And God is saying, it's so much more than that. It's me. Amen? Number four, don't look back. Numbers eleven, fourteen says, The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. All the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now we have lost our, tight, our, our appetite. We have never seen anything but this manna, these crackers. <laughs> Again, I think that God, God doesn't want us to get satisfied with this life. With this, I mean, he doesn't always give us what, what we want, I think, because he doesn't want us to be satisfied with this life. There's so much more for us through life in the Spirit. And I think it's funny that the things that they craved, if we were to, if, if I was to, you know, right before service, take a big bite of garlic. I was like, mmm, got my garlic for the day, and I have some pretty bad breath. <laughs> Nobody would want to talk to me. And I think that it's funny that the things that they craved were the stinky things back in Egypt, right? It's like, you can have your freedom in the desert, but, oh, we'd rather go back to the stinky fruits and vegetables. Fish can be stinky too, you know? We'd rather go back there, so... Don't covet the things of your old life. Don't live in that place where you're always looking back and saying, man, I wish my life was still like that. Look forward to what God has for you in your life. Even if there's some crackers, you know, in the way, even if there's some crackers in that place, be satisfied with God. It's more than just a promised land. When the, when the fullness of God takes hold of our community, when the, when the Spirit lives in us, when when there's generosity and love, we, were, we would be without lack completely. And so we take hold of that, that the Spirit of God, it's the Spirit of God working in our lives, and it, that's the fruit that we eat from. It's love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness. That's the fruit that we take hold of every day, whether we're in the promised land or in the desert. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Amen? Fear is ultimately about self-preservation. A.D. Tozer says this, <clears throat> In every Christian's heart, there is a cross and a throne. And the Christian is on the throne till he puts himself on the cross. If he refuses the cross, he remains on the throne. We want to be saved, but we insist that Christ do all the dying. And no cross for us, no de-enthronement, no dying. 
We remain king within the little kingdom of man's soul and wear our tinsel crown with all the pride of Caesar. But we doom ourselves to shadows and weakness and spiritual sterility. The bondage of living a life of fear is that we become consumed with finding every way to live life without ever giving life. Fear internalizes and creates and isolates us. Look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 25. It says, Jesus says, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. You see, the greatest way for us to live is to give. Not to look back, not to crave the things of our flesh and of our old life, but to give life. See, in the desert, when you're consumed with just getting, getting more, you know, the crackers, nothing's ever enough. If it's, you know, one, it's the crackers, it's the quail, it's, if you read the story, there's all these things that it's never enough for them. And when we're constantly looking back to our old life and wishing it was better, um, we live in that place of fear and not keeping our eyes focused on the promise that God has for us. It becomes more about us preserving our life and what we want. Number six, it might be number five. <laughs> I got out of order. So number five, take courage. And I love this story. This is the, this is, um, the story of the second, basically after the, after the um, Israelites um, walk through the desert, the old generation dies off. God brings Joshua and the next generation in. And he says, now then, Jesus, or God speaking to Joshua, says, now then you and all these people, Get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them and to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot. And as I promise, and as I promised Moses, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river to the Euphrates, to all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will, be able, will ever be able to stand against you all the days of your life. And as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead them. You will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors. And see, at this point, Joshua had walked through the desert. He'd seen all the miracles. He'd seen all the stuff. And he'd built a relationship. He built a place of trust. And what I want to say to do today is that stepping out of fear and stepping into the promises that God has for your life, living in the Spirit, it starts with trusting God. When God provides that miracle in your life, that little gem, that little answer to prayer, hold on to that and let that be a stone. Let that be an altar that carries you through every part of your life, all the way to the end. Someday, our, our, our story will be read by other people. And what do we want them to say of us? That we were wavering, that we never entered the promises of God, or that we entered the promises of God and we saw miracle after miracle because we believed and we trusted God for all that was, he was going to do. God says to Moses, take courage. And I believe that's what he says to us today. Take courage. Don't even worry about fear because I'm with you. Take courage in your life and step out because I've called you to greater things. And finally, number six. Um, Kendall, you guys can come back up. Be holy. Joshua 5, 4 through 8 says, now this is why we did so. All those who came out of Egypt and all the men of military age died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. And all the people that came out had 
um, had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had moved about in the wilderness 40 years until all the men who were military age, when they had left Egypt, had died. And since they had not obeyed, since they had not obeyed the Lord, for the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land he had solemnly promised their ancestors to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place. And these were the ones, and Joshua was circumcised, and they were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they, they remained where they were in the camp until they were healed. We need to set ourselves apart for the Lord, and that's ultimately what circumcision is. And there's some things that I think God wants to work in our lives that in the fear that we've believed, in the things that we've taken hold of our life, and those words that, you know, I'm not good enough, and I'm, you know, not ever going to be what God wants me to be, or I'm not going to be what that person wants me to be. In that fear, when we let that thing take hold of our life, we've gripped onto other altars, we've gripped onto other idols and things in our life that the Lord, I believe, wants to remove out of us. And He's calling us today, and I think He's, I believe, He's saying, be circumcised and be holy. Get rid of that old way. Get of that, rid of that past. Get rid of those things that um, were from Egypt and set yourself apart for me. Amen? Let's stand. What I want to ask us today is what's our story going to be? Is it going to be one where we enter into the promised land? we enter into the promises that God has for us, or is it going to be one that's filled with fear? And that when we get to the edge of the promised land, when we get to the edge of the thing that God has for us, when we get to the spirit, the fruits of the spirit, we say, I'd rather just go back to Egypt. I'd rather just go back to my old life, my old ways. What's our story going to be? Each of us and as a body, God is calling us up. He's calling us higher. And I want to, I just want to keep it simple today and ask, you know, if there's things in our life, if there's fears that you've had, that God wants to set us free from that. And God wants to set you free from that. And so why don't we bow our heads and close our eyes? I want to ask you today, if you've been living a life of fear and you haven't known relationship with God, if you haven't known trueness and genuineness with him that this is a place and this is a start that he has for you that God wants to take us deeper he wants to take you deeper to where it's not just mm, I'm trying to do what I can trying to make my own way trying to do what's right trying to do what's good he wants to develop that genuine love in your heart that genuine relationship with you something real, something true, something can never be taken from us, no matter what desert we're in, no matter what circumstance we face. And so with every head and every every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want you to think and, and ask, is that me today? Is that me today? Do I have fear, Lord? Do I have fear in my life? Do I have fear in my life? We're going to take communion in a little bit here, and we're going to worship. 
But if you've never received God into your life, if you've never received a relationship, if you've never been in a relationship with him, today is your day. And I want to ask you, if you need prayer for that today, just raise your hand. And we're going to pray for you. We're going to believe that, that God wants to bring you into that relationship and out of that fear.